0: Well, a very good morning to you, a very, very good morning. Lovely to see you, kind of, nearly, virtually. Hope you're having a, a good morning, and I hope it's not too late to say, Happy New Year, and it's great to be here in this rather strange environment. But uh, thanks to Andrew Nicky, thanks to the band and everybody who's leading us. We're going to dive straight into the Bible. Uh, like Andrew has reminded us, we're continuing in this uh, Exodus series, in these early chapters, as God unfolds his great rescue plan, sending Moses, working through him to deliver his chosen people out of bondage to slavery in Egypt, getting uh, the Israelites, getting Israel out of Egypt, these early uh, Sunday, Sunday messages, with all the many obvious foreshadowings of what is to come, God's ultimate rescue plan, sending Jesus, working through him to deliver all people from our bondage to sin and rebellion and selfishness and pride and greed and, and, and all the rest and then bring us to life in the promised land of, of his kingdom. So lots to look forward to. Uh, please catch up with Andrew's message. Excellent start to the series last Sunday if you missed it based on the first two chapters and the end of chapter two, if you've got your Bibles there, it'd be really helpful to have them open today, sets us up for this morning. And in the slightly dramatic uh, NLT version, uh, chapter 2, verse 25, the last verse of that chapter, God looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. You love that. You turn the page and, of course, we're familiar with the story, but what's coming next? So into Exodus 3 this morning. Decisive moment then in God's plan. This uh, orchestration of of a rather weird encounter With Moses in front of a non burning bush in the desert. And then he reveals some really important things to Moses, and then he commissions him get on your camel, pack your bags, go back to Egypt, because you're going to lead your people out. And actually, for all the uniqueness, as we'll just see in a moment, of this event that we know so well, the, the main ingredients at the heart of it are encounter, revelation, commission. And they're familiar to us, aren't they? As part of our own walk with walk with God, encounter with God's presence, revelation of God's nature, calling and commissioning through God's words. This is the bread and butter of of human Christian experience. So Exodus uh, chapter 3, I'm going to read 1 to 12, missing out a couple of bits just because of time. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, he- here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place that you're standing on is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And then, of course, he goes on to have this dialogue with Moses, familiar, read it later, chapter 3, chapter 4, instructions, various in, bits of information about how things are going to go. Moses gets a bit freaked out, gets a bit freaked out by the whole thing, um, and God gives him some amazing reassurance, including a really neat miracle with a stick and a snake, and he promises again that deep and beautiful and powerful thing, I will be with you, Moses. Moses. I don't know if you agree with me that uh, the world feels really polarized at the moment. I'm not sure I can remember ever being quite so divided on on whatever, whether it's American politics or or Brexit or pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown, a whole load of divisions and polarizations and people being pushed to the sort of extremes and and the media, if I may say, and the social media sort of emphasizing that and highlighting that and and putting a megaphone to it. And I'm guessing some of that might be okay and, and, and some of it not. But if we're not careful, polarizing tendencies uh, c- c- can creep into other things as well, uh, not just political views or opinions ar- ar- around what's going on ar- around us, but can creep into the way that we think about God, the way that we think about relating to him, his word, and so on. And as I was just praying about this passage this morning, I felt God quite clearly talked to me about, no, there are some things, Tim, that we've got to hold together. If I ever wrote um, a-, a book it might be called something like both and, not either or, or, or the best of both, or, or something like that. There are some things that we have to hold together uh, in, in our Christian world grace and truth, uh, evangelism and social action, mercy and justice, lament and celebration, univ- unity and diversity, and on and on. And you, you can think of your own examples. But I felt the Lord speak to me about two or three. Uh, both ands in this passage uh, in Exodus 3, as we just explore it briefly this morning, where we're encountering God's presence, receiving revelation, and then going about fulfilling his word, his commission to us as his people in the world. And here's the first one, and I'll dwell on this one a little more than the other two. It is a reminder, a powerful reminder, that God is both above and beyond as well as intimately present. Or in theological language, if you like, he is both transcendent and imminent. He's both outside of all of his creation and yet fully present within it. He exists both outside of time and yet he manifests powerfully his presence within the dimensions and limitations of time and space. And I don't know how you, how you picture this very familiar burning bush um, moment. We all have probably, if we've been to Sunday school or, or since, uh, a kind of image of, of what that's like in our heads. But friends, I, I believe it's so important this morning not to miss, not to diminish in any way God's otherness, his transcendence, his above and beyondness, the majesty, the mystery, the greatness. And the Bible word, of course, for otherness is holiness holiness. Totally different, completely set apart. Look at the text again. Verse two, the angel of the Lord appeared. Well, who's that? We're not really told. Later on, it says God says, not the angel says. So what's the relationship between the angel and the Lord? We don't really know. There's mystery here. The angel of the Lord comes. There's flames of fire, but the bush isn't burning. That's weird. It attracts Moses' curiosity, but curiosity, it, God is not never a matter just of curiosity. Verse five, don't come closer. Take off your sandals. Why? Because the ground's holy. Why is the ground holy because God's in this place. A holy God is in this place. There's something very above and beyond, very different going on here. And at the same time, something very present and personal in the moment. Moses, verse four. Moses, I'll repeat your name because I know you, says God. I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Paraphrasing, he goes on to say, essentially, I know who you are and I know everything about your history and I've seen exactly what's been going on in the land of your people and I'm going to do something about it. So verse eight, I've come down. Common Old Testament expression from God says it often. I've come down. In other words, I'm making my transcendence imminent. My otherness is becoming close. And Moses' response, response, verse six He hid his face. Why? Because he was afraid to look on God. Of course, this is the man, Moses, who later on, Exodus 33, is described as God's friend. There's such a beautiful personal intimacy. His friendship with God, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. But here there is a completely appropriate fear of the Lord. A reverence, an awe, a, a, a respect, an honor that is due to God because of his holiness. And friends, I sense a challenge to us this morning. Maybe it's just me. I don't want to project it onto you, but if you, if you believe God's speaking, I believe that it's here. Not to downplay the holiness, the glory, the goodness, the majesty, the otherness, the above and beyondness of God. And sure, we are post-Calvary people. We are... People to whom Jesus has revealed the Father more than happened in the Old Testament. The cross has opened up access, of course it has, for us to enjoy the holy of holies, as it were. The the veil has been torn in two. We have access to to a personal, intimate relationship with God, not just via the priest once a year and so on. But God is still the same. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's above and beyond, and any kind of superficial notion that we might be tempted into, that somehow the the, the God of the New Testament is, is warm and cuddly and kind, and the God of the Old Testament is stern and remote and distant and a bit cruel, is poisonous nonsense. He hasn't changed. Now, sure, the full glory of God had to be hidden in Jesus when he walked the earth. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to cope with it. And sure, Jesus brings us a fuller revelation of the Father, but he has lost nothing of his transcendence, of his holiness, his otherness that inspires what? Awe and worship and what? The fear of the Lord, a right fear of the Lord. Think even in the New Testament, John, the Apostle John, the one, he says, who, who rested his head on Jesus' shoulder, knew that intimate connection with the Father, the same John to whom The transcendent risen Jesus revealed himself in Revelation, says this, what John says, when I saw him, the risen Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why? The fear of the Lord, a right response to the otherness of God. God hasn't changed. J.B. Phillips famously wrote, your God is too small. Chris Tomlin wrote wrote that song, God is indescribable, uncontainable, trying to find language to, to put around this. Dr. Lockridge, you remember in that beautiful stirring piece on He's My King, look it up on YouTube, haven't got time to play it, but, but words, tries to find words to bring to the transcendent other holiness, greatness, majesty of, of God. Isaiah literally was divinely inspired to have a go at the same thing. Just close your eyes for a minute, wherever you are, just close your eyes. Let me read one or two things that Isaiah read in chapter 40, referenced a little bit earlier on uh, already by Nikki. Just think for a moment. Isaiah it, it says this Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? To whom will you compare me? Who's my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these? Who brings out the starry host one by one, calls forth each by name? And because of his great power, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And God says to Moses a little bit later, chapter 3, verse 14, just look down at it. I am who I am, he says. That famous, cryptic, enigmatic self-identifying description. I am who I am. Words defy adequate translation, but they point to this this cosmic uniqueness, this greatness, this holiness, his eternal existence. Verse 15, I'm Yahweh, the ancient name that is so holy that people don't even dare to pronounce it. The Lord, the one whom all your ancestors, going right back to Abraham, have worshipped as the one true God, above, beyond, transcendent. Great, holy, other. We can't diminish it. And, both and, and, Moses, I know you by name. I know you by name. I know you by name, Tim, Jamie, Rose. I know you by name. Let's not settle ever for a God who's too small, too domesticated, anything less than he really is. Let's go on asking for that bigger revelation of God. Just briefly, why does it matter so much? We might be thinking lots and lots of reasons. Why does it matter? One of the most obvious reasons. The more true our understanding, the more whole my view God becomes, the less I'm in danger of creating God in my own image and according to my own preference and essentially trying to use him to meet my needs. And second, the biblical response to God's otherness, to his holiness, time and again in the scriptures, is this fear of the Lord. Sure, we know, not the same as being frightened by him like the way we'd be you know, frightened by a, an unpredictable tyrant or something like that. More to do with being afraid of the consequences of this God not being my God. The consequences of me not placing my full trust, leaning my full weight on this God as my Lord and God. If I lose sight of that, if I lose sight of the fear of God, I lose sight of something very, very precious. I haven't got time to go through references to the the fear of the Lord particularly, but I'd encourage people to do a, a bit of a word study on that. I think it's something that's so misunderstood. I still grapple with it. But I was really challenged by this as I, as I was preparing this week. You want wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9. You want life? The fear of the Lord leads to life, Proverbs 19. You want friendship? The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. You need mercy? His mercy is for those who fear him. Psalm Psalm 112, blessed is the person who fears the Lord. A right view of God involves a fear of God, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us recapture it, my friends. Second, both, and more briefly. Let's notice in the verses, back to eyes on the text, the super ordinary alongside the supernatural, the mundane and the miraculous, the visible, the invisible. We need to understand that both are at play. Like, like Nikki, uh, I had the privilege of, of connecting with the Open Doors um, presentation as they, they, they gave this watch list of the, the world's most persecuted countries for Christians to live in. And I, and I followed it up by reading a load of testimonies about people. And I was so struck by... Um, an Iranian pastor, really challenged by this again, who in the superordinariness of life, just ordinary daily life, yet brought to it this high expectation that God would manifest His power in that place, that God would provide, that God would protect, that there'd be uh, interaction, as it were, between earth and heaven, and God would fulfil His promises. He, he was he was living naturally, supernaturally, in a way that I found so inspiring. And friends, this is normal. Christian living. So at one level, back to the passage, at one level, there's lots of ordinary here. There's this normal bloke called Moses. He's a shepherd. There's sheep. There's a desert. There's a mountain. There's a bush. There's fire and on and on. And, and by the way, at the same time, New Testament, Jewish New Testament believers are connecting all of these things to uh, symbolically, to, to things that are going to come. Moses, the rescuer, before the great rescuer. Moses, a shepherd, before the great shepherd comes. Uh, being commissioned in the desert, like Jesus. The mountain where he is, by the way, Horeb is another word for, the, for Sinai, the, the place where, where heaven and earth meet in, in all kinds of encounters through the scripture. These God man encounters. Fire, symbol of the Holy Spirit, and so on. But leaving aside all of that, this is normal biblical testimony. That the visible and the invisible are working together. The miraculous and the mundane exist together. The ordinary and the super ordinary exist together. Elizabeth Barrett Barrett Browning uh, was inspired by this little passage. And in a famous line from one of her poems, she said this. Earth is crammed with heaven. And every bush, every bush is aflame with the glory of God. But only those who see take off their shoes and the rest just pick blackberries. I find that so beautiful. The challenge is to our way of seeing. Our way of seeing, of course, determines so much of how we then act and speak and relate in the world in which we live and make choices. Only those who see take off their shoes. So God, where are you in this problem? Is a question we need to be asking all of the time. God, where are you? What are you saying? God, give me eyes to see this. And friends, again, I think there's a huge challenge to to all of us here who would claim to follow Jesus, put our faith in God. Sure, we need to engage with the world at the level of politics and at the level of economics and at the level of healthcare and education and contribute and engage in those debates and opinions. It's really, really important that we do that. But if we're not careful, and to be honest, I see this all over uh, social media, we effectively only engage at that level. And at that level, it's kind of what's the best that man can do. What is the best human solution that we can bring to the problems of the world? And as important as that is, what this passage is reminding us is no, that that's not the only dimension. In fact, it's not even the most important dimension. The question is not what's the best that, that men and women can do in our limited rational understanding. It's what's, what is the best that God can do and how do we access that through prayer? And what is his perspective? On these problems, How do we help ourselves relentlessly to keep drawing ourselves to a higher perspective and a higher vision and take others with us in the world? This matters so much. Answer by encounter. Encamp- Exodus 3 has the answer. How do we do that? By encountering his presence again and again. By listening, by responding to his voice, as Moses did. We call that prayer. By paying more attention, and I might want to say, how about paying more time? to what God reveals more than what the BBC reveals or what Twitter reveals or what the newspaper reveals or my media feed reveals. Both and. God's holiness and his closeness, the super ordinary and the supernatural. Lastly, even more briefly, Exodus 3. There's this brilliant dynamic relationship, did you notice, between uh, what God is up to and what Moses is up to. What is The responsibility that God takes on himself and the responsibility that is Moses, both and. So Exodus verse three, look at verse eight. God says, I've come down to rescue my people. Two verses later, he says to Moses, Moses, I'm sending you to rescue my people. God says, I'm rescuing. Moses, you're rescuing. Well, which is it? I know this is slightly familiar ground as we consider the kind of partnership, our relationship with God. But it's both and, isn't it? It's both hands. There's a God part and there's a me part. And it's not always easy to, to distinguish them, but we've got to hold both together. How much of this is Moses' responsibility? How much is God's? Time and again we see it in the scriptures. What's mine? What's my assignment? What's up to me? And what is it that, that God is going to do? I love the picture of partnership. There was uh, that beautiful story of the boy playing the piano, and it was, he was a bit off key and his notes weren't great, and yet some great uh, pianist comes alongside him and adds his genius to the boy's melody and makes harmony out of it. Or in a painting, I think it was by Charlie Max, it could have been somebody else. Uh, It's on the screen. Uh, There's the angel of the Lord who comes alongside the piano player and adds divine harmony to what the human effort is producing. It's this brilliant picture of both and. Paul describes it like this, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I worked harder than everyone. Notice, Paul's effort, Paul's strength, Paul's giving it as everything he's got, working hard, absolutely. Yet, he says, not I, but the grace of God that was within me. In other words, God's best, God's effort, God's strength, empowering him. Well, which is it? Both. Both and. Mark Batterson says it like this. Work as if everything depends on you. Pray as if everything depends on God. That's not a bad way of capturing it. We might ask, by the way, how do I know what to expect of God, what he expects of me? And there's no formula. If you know your Bible, you know 1 Chronicles 20 as an example. uh, Jehoshaphat, the king, he's told in that example, this battle that you're going to face, you've got an enemy coming, but this battle is is not yours, it's the Lord's. Effectively, just stand down, watch me deliver victory into your hands. And, And that's what happens. And yet, a few chapters later, in Judges to Gideon, he says, Gideon, go and fight, go and fight the Midianites. Which is it? In one case, God says, contend, fight, give it, give it everything you've got. In other examples, he says, let me contend. Have you ever thought, have you ever asked the question, how do you know when to fight? And how do you know when to let fight, uh, God fight for you? On the one hand, by the way, the king, it says you, you take the kingdom by force. The Bible says take the kingdom by force. In other places, it says receive the kingdom like a child which is it God doesn't do formula friends God doesn't do formula he does relationship I'm going to end on this back to Exodus 3 it's all about relationship Exodus 312 I will be with you we journey together and so the key to this and to everything that I've said this morning in all of these situations God's word comes what in the context of relationship in the context of encounter that's what this is encounter with his presence in the context of revelation in the context of listening and dialogue and leaning into the Lord and then obedience to his commission so I want to encourage us friends this morning I believe God is speaking into this Uh, and there'll be different dimensions which you're picking up but let's not be polarised, let's not buy into the lie of this extreme or that extreme when God is asking to us to hold things together, the both-and-ness. Uh, and and let us ask the Holy Spirit to show us wherever we might be guilty of doing that, wherever we're, wherever we're tempted to an extreme of either-or. And with Moses, along with Moses, let's embrace again God's transcendence and his imminence, his holiness and his nearness, the supernatural in the midst of, the super ordinary. And let's be sure to allow his strength to fill ours, his strength to fill our strength as we live out his calling, as we live out his commission in the world. Amen.